0: I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A
1: university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected.
0: Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Hello friends and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Tony Ziparis, and joining me on the podcast this week from Sacktown Royalty, Richard Ivanowski. Richard, the podcast is back. Kings Media Day is on Monday. The preseason starts on October
1: 1st. Basketball is here. How are you? I'm doing good, Tony. Thanks for having me back. Um, Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. We are finally coming out of these uh, dog days. It's been a long time since we've seen Kings Basketball. There was so much excitement coming out of that
0: draft lottery. Uh, Then the draft came, then free agency came, and it was kind of a disappointment. It kind of went downhill from the lottery Uh, in a lot of people's minds. I don't want to speak for everybody. But I wasn't thrilled with what the Kings did this summer. So having that month of August off and most of September, it was nice to kind of relax and not think about the Kings so much. But with that being said, I am really excited to have the podcast back up and running and to watch some Kings basketball here soon. Are you excited for it? Because uh, I asked for some Twitter questions before we started recording. And even just catching the sentiment of the fan base, both on Twitter and Reddit and Sacktown Royalty, I'm seeing a lot of comments from people that are saying things like, I've never been less excited for a King season. I've seen that sentiment a lot, and I, I'm i with you. I'm really excited to watch this team play, even though I don't think they're going to be very good. But uh, it sounds like you are excited for the season season. Do you understand why people are kind of uh, it might not feel that way?
1: Um, I think that I do. I mean, just as far as is not specific to this season, but at this point in the off season, it's like really hard to to be excited because we it's been so long. Like we're so deep in it at this point that it almost feels like it's like we're never going to see King's basketball again. But it just like. There, all the intrigue, all the stuff, all the Twitter stuff, all the free agency buzz, all that has all died out, and it's so quiet. It's almost like this is why I think the preseason can be so valuable, is it does get us hyped back up, and so we're like just right there. like It's kind of darkest before the dawn sort of thing, but as far as this specific team and this specific season, I, that I don't really understand so much because... I think we do have a ton of, I mean, I know we do have a ton of young guys, and that's kind of, I'd be more excited to watch that. I am more excited to watch that than sort of like a middling, uh, more veteran type of team. I I think there's some mystery involved in what we've got, and that that to me is just inherently exciting.
0: I think you you put that perfectly. The mystery factor is is a big one for me too, because the Kings have, uh, I, I think it was last year they had, what, 10 players under rookie contracts on opening night. I haven't looked exactly what that number is this year, but I'm sure it's the same. I know some guys have moved in, some have moved out. Like Papayana isn't here anymore, but they got Bagley and Wenyan Gabriel on a two-way. So a lot of young players, and I don't think either one of us expects the team to be great this year or even good, but there is that little tiny hint of unknown where like, hey, maybe everything breaks right. Maybe De'Aaron Fox is like dramatically better. Maybe Willie cauley figures it out. Maybe, you know, Buddy Heald builds off what he did last year, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like, there's a lot of room for upside, even though I don't think they're going to reach that upside this year. This is, like, a, a huge building year for this core group, and if we don't see at least some of those players make a significant leap, then I can see maybe being uh, not so excited for maybe next year, because there won't be a rookie coming in, because they don't have a 2019 pick, and... Yeah. and uh and then if the guys aren't developing, then you're looking at a real, real tough spot. But I think there is, there is you know, despite my pessimism overall, um, I do think there's plenty of reasons to be excited.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even think about that. that, that that'll that be a little bit scary um, with no first-round draft pick. And then depending on if we were to strike out in free agency, that could be a pretty grim uh, opening night for 2019. But, but yeah, that's not where we're at. You know, Bagley, like... He's a divisive pick, to be sure, but you have to be interested in him, at least. And Darren Fox, I think we all agree he had a kind of a disappointing first year, and the blame for that can be spread around in different areas, but I don't think that anyone is looking at him like, okay, well, that's what he is. That's a finished product. We're going to see what we saw last year from him this year. We're going to see a whole different Darren Fox. We're going to see a different style of play, hopefully – ideally adjusted to his strengths and that's really exciting for me um as well as these other guys who are in their second year i want to see what bogey can bring in the second year it's going to be it's going to be rad i'm 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 definitely excited about that and um also i think that there'll be some we have some questions running through uh the gm the the head coach whether they're right for the jobs and like i think following that is interesting too following the either success or failure of a potentially, you know, a pretty big make or break year for Dave Yeager and for bloody Divok. these guys, there's going to be a lot of narratives, a lot of storylines to keep track of. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's going to be a uh, good entertainment.
0: And I think uh, we do kind of say this every year and so often nothing comes of it, but the Kings do have moves to make during the season. They saved something like $10 million of cap space that they can use up to the trade deadline for something. Their roster doesn't fit. Um, We've talked about the logjam in the front court, So I don't think the team that you see on opening night will be the team you see after the trade deadline. And again, it's something that we say every year. We're always... This is like the the life of a Kings fan where you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so often it doesn't drop and you're just stuck with what was. Like the most uh, recent Mm -hmm. example was the Ben McLemore-Deontay Davis trade uh, for Garrett Temple. We were all like, as soon as that was announced, there was so much, like the narrative was, oh my God, they got Ben McLemore back. But, you know, there's going to be another shoe to drop. Like, there's no way Ben McLemore is going to be here on opening night. Uh, To a lesser extent, Deontay Davis, because he's a $1 million contract player we haven't seen before. So if he sticks around, who cares? Sure, let's get a look at him. But uh, the shoe hasn't dropped yet. So I don't want to get everyone excited that the Kings are going to make some blockbuster move, but it does feel like specifically because they have that trade chip of cap space where no other teams do. Like just today that Jimmy Butler uh, trade request came out. I'm not saying the Kings are definitely going to get involved there, but who has more flexibility than they do to get involved? Nobody does, and that will be the case up until the deadline. So no matter what breaks with the rest of the NBA, whether it's a Jimmy Butler trade or any of uh, these other rumors, the Kings should hopefully be in the mix whether they do something or not who knows but they have more flexibility than anybody right now not on purpose because the kings did try and sign zach Levine, so they do have that 10 million dollars of cap space by accident but they do have flexibility and that's another reason to to kind of be i don't know if excited is the perfect word for that specific scenario but there's some some things the kings are in an interesting spot right now
1: yeah definitely i and you're right i mean the difference this year is that they're the only ones right like nobody has any cap space so, if someone were to, yeah, like a, a Jimmy Butler trade, if someone, if if these two teams, two teams needed a third team to facilitate the trade and to to accept a little bit of salary, in a dump situation, yeah, there's no one else that they could possibly really call. Uh, so that is interesting, and like you mentioned with the the Davis and the Mclemore situation, we do have 16 guys on guaranteed contracts right now, so. Even before opening day, opening night, we are going to have a little bit of movement in the roster. We can't bring 16 guys with us.
0: What's your prediction there? I haven't really thought about that quite yet because that deadline is pretty far away, and they may bring in some other guys under unguaranteed contracts that could force another cut. I know, like, um, what team was it? I want to say it was the Grizzlies have 20 guys under contract right now. So there's going to be a lot of cuts league-wide. The Kings have to make one. If you had to make a prediction right now, who would that guy be?
1: Yeah, um, I think the Clippers, too, also. I think they were were fully stacked at one point. I had uh, the full 20 guys, and then they moved Sam Decker over to Cleveland, and they've been doing a little bit of stuff. And I think there's been some rumors about maybe moving a point guard over to the Suns, who need one so badly. Nothing confirmed there, obviously. But, um, you know, I think that what's going on is what you had mentioned a little bit earlier with the the McLemore trade, well, <laughs> the Garrett Temple trade yeah. that McLemore happened to be included in. I think that's kind of what's going on. Uh, I can't say for sure, but it seems like they made that trade with the hopes that they could couple either McLemore and Davis or one of them with some space to, to take on uh, a different player with a larger contract, get a pick or something. I, I'm not sure exactly what the designs were, but I think they're They felt like we can cut these guys, we can wave these guys, but we want to keep it open until we absolutely have to because we don't need to eat dead salary just to do it. We can wait to the last day. Um, But my prediction would be that they don't get anything done and that they just end up cutting both because I think they want to go down to 14. Uh, I think they, they can keep 15 guys on the roster. I think they want to go down to 14, especially like, with 11 million or 10 million, whatever it is, in cap space, you want that uh, roster spot too, so you could essentially just take a player into space.
0: I was going to say Deontay Davis because that's—I mean—that's the guy we've heard the least about. I know Ben McLemore was on social media, like looking for a place to rent in Sacramento for the year. That doesn't mean he's going to stay for sure, of course. But for Deontay Davis, it's been like radio silent. I haven't heard anything from that guy. Whether he's been in Sacramento, I think. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are still in his Instagram, which is, that is also doesn't mean anything because maybe the guy just doesn't go on social media that much, but yeah. it does seem like he's kind of out of sight, out of mind at the moment, but I think you make a good point about cutting both of them. I didn't really consider cutting Macklemore because he is a trade chip at $5 million, and once you cut him, you're like that's just on your cap and you can't move it anymore. So it, they have more flexibility right. by keeping him, but to piggyback off of what you just said, getting that extra roster space allows them to potentially pick up a guy that gets cut around the league from other teams. Because like we were saying before, a lot of these teams do have too many guaranteed contracts. Players will get cut every year. I always remember uh, the best cut signing the Kings ever made. Um, Beno Udra was a beginning of the season ad when the Spurs cut him. And that worked out pretty well for the Kings. So guys are going to get cut around the league. and wow. You can't... You can't uh, you obviously can't pick anybody up if you keep Mclemore and Deontay Davis, because then you're maxed out of roster space. So someone else around the league gets cut. Sure, take a shot. Because here's the thing: I promise yeah. that a player is going to get cut that is better than Ben Macklemore. So at that point, I think it's worth eating that money <laughs> and getting yeah, that player because there's bet. no way Ben Macklemore is going to be better than some of the guys that have that are going to be cut around the
1: league. So. Yeah, and I wonder if he, I wonder what his where his mindset is at with that. If he feels he can make. Uh, an NBA roster because if so they could try to do a buyout situation and and save a couple extra bucks maybe save a million off of that mm-hmm. so that they don't have to stretch out the full five million over the next uh, three years but um, yeah I don't know and I didn't know that that it was a uh, uh, a cut a, a, a claim a waiver claim that's that's rad I see I I'm not uh, up on. The history, even like the, the generally more recent history of the Kings, as much as you guys are being so new to covering the Kings. But uh, he's a great player, and I know that you're very fond of that guy. I think so. Yeah,
0: he's my default Twitter survey answer. Anytime someone gets one of those like viral things going where they ask, you know, yeah, who's like your third favorite player on like your seventh favorite team, I just write Bano for, for every answer on those. I want to say the year the Kings brought in Bano. Uh, Mike Bibby was injured to start the season, so they were stuck starting Orion Green, and he was a disaster for like three or four games, and then, uh, Baino was cut at the end of camp from the Spurs, so about five or six games to the season, I want to say they brought in Bano because Orion Green was such a disaster, and then Bano was so good that they ended up trading Mike Bibby to the Hawks, because once Bibby was healthy and came back, um, it was kind of clear at that point that Beno deserved the spot, but I I could have that timeline wrong because I was not doing this to the extent that I am now, so I wasn't following it as closely. But I'm gonna look that up after the podcast now to make sure.
1: Yeah, you know, with uh, Halloween around the corner, I think that you gotta come up with a Beno Udrich costume. I mean, <laughs> that would be that would be pretty rad. I would. You got my my retweet, that's for sure. Have
0: you seen his hair though? That's gonna be hard
1: to pull off his hair these days. He's got like a is it. I think like it's the, like the white, like the Daenerys Targaryen level, like yeah. bleach blonde, or what, what's going on? It's there? a bleach top
0: man bun with the uh, the sides shaved, and I just I don't think I can even grow that much hair by Halloween or pull that off. But if I can, I'll try. I can
1: do the sides. I can do the side shave, but <laughs> nothing on top either is the problem there.
0: Shut up, Bano! Always try and work him into the conversation. But uh, now that the off season is essentially over. I, I mean, I shouldn't even say it's over because the Jimmy Butler news just broke, so there are still blockbuster moves yet to happen, but for the most part, in all likelihood, this is the roster we'll see on opening night. How would you grade the offseason?
1: Um, it's really hard. I, I want to, like, sort of establish, like, a grading criteria here because sometimes I go off of, like, C being the average or are we talking, like, an average grade would be, like, 50% and just to be at average is a failure for this team with as much space as they had. It's really hard. I, I want to basically put them in this weird range where they, did, they didn't they did hurt themselves in any way. Well, they tried to with Zach Levine, but they didn't hurt themselves in any way and they got themselves a little bit better, but they also failed to fulfill all this potential with the space. It's really hard. I'm going to have to circle back around and choose a letter grid, but uh where where are you at with it right now?
0: I think you laid it out pretty well.
1: It comes down to
0: like what they probably could have done and didn't, and even that is hard to say. Like, as a fan, it's really easy to say, yeah, like they should have went and signed Julius Randle. The dude signed for two years, eighteen yeah. million, where before the offseason started, we were talking about a potentially maxing Julius Randle. So when you see what he signs for, the immediate reaction is like how did the Kings not pursue this? But we don't know if Randall well, was interested. Like, we don't know if the Kings are in. Like, there's so much that we don't know. A,
1: yeah. It, we drafted power forward. I don't know. You know, it's like, do right. we even does that spoil it? Like, if you think about what the Kings could have done, right.
0: this offseason looks terrible. But even that is assuming they could have done what we think they could have done, which is, it's hard. We do it all the time. It is hard. But we know they could have drafted Luka Doncic and... Without getting into that argument 100%, just as me grading the offseason, I i am down on their draft because I would have drafted Doncic over Bagley. I'm not super down on it. I don't think Bagley was, like, the worst pick of all time. But if I'm grading it, I, I'm not, you know, super happy with how they handled the draft. Um, I'm also not super happy with how they traded their second-round pick. Not that they needed another rookie, but, you know, I don't know. They just they they gave away a pick for nothing. Just generally not too too fond of that. And then it, what they did in free agency, it's hard not to grade their free agent like give them a bad free agency grade. Because even by their own goals, they failed. Because we talked about earlier, they tried to sign Zach Levine and it didn't work. Um, they were in on a couple of other players that they couldn't close the deal on. Now, they, I don't right. think they would ever admit that they failed, but... To at least some degree, they failed. Maybe you know, Bielitza and Yogi Ferrell were their second option behind uh, Levine. I don't believe that to be true. But even if that's the case, then fine. Like a lot of teams strike out on their first option, so you can give them a passing grade at best. But they didn't. Yeah. They didn't do anything. But at the same time, like all that being said, which is uh, a pretty negative comments from me. They still didn't do anything that I didn't like. Like, I, I liked signing Bielitsa, so which I know you did too. I think the Yogi Ferrell signing was fantastic value for what he was. I love bringing in Wayne Gabriel as a, on a two-way deal. Kind of makes up for losing out on their uh, second-round pick. And I don't hate the Bagley pick, even though I think by drafting Luka Doncic and signing a big man, you can create a very competitive, balanced roster where right now there's like the front court logjam. So if I have to put a grade to it, I'd say like I don't know, C minus, which to me is a grade that says that they didn't do anything horrible. They just in my opinion, which is not factual and I can't prove it, that they missed out on a lot of opportunities to get significantly better this summer.
1: Yeah, I think that's really that's that's really fair. When you said that they did just enough to be passable, I, I think I gotta agree with that because It's not a situation where they went out and they signed a, you know, a really bad player to a huge deal or they went out and, um, had like an obvious, clear target and they like just completely fell out. I think what we were referring to, um, as far as some free agency targets were minor deals, guys that were only, I think the initial offers were, you know, about one year, two years, six million, seven million. Or so it didn't didn't really feel like they struck out on a big target, with the exception of Levine, who you can't really call it a failure because it, they just matched. You know, the you're right, that's matched. fair. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, totally. But but also, what you said with the um, I don't know why I, I never really think of that when someone says the off season. I always think of like this downtime. You know, with, with the free agency and all that, but. I often don't include the draft index. The draft seems like such its own thing, mm-hmm. but if we, I mean, you're absolutely right that it is part of the offseason. It kind of kicks off the offseason, and yeah, from a from you know just being quite frank about it, the way that it feels right now is that they skipped, a, you know, they, they let a player pass them by that is generally considered a consensus pick to be a game changer in the league. Um And it's not really fair to grade that necessarily because we haven't seen either of them play. We don't know for sure. There's a lot of fear and a lot of panic around how good Luca is gonna be and a lot of fear around how good is gonna be and how big that gap may potentially be. And I don't even know if it'd necessarily be fair to judge it just after the rookie year either. I mean, Looking down the road, three four years at that point, you can pretty clearly say, okay, this was either the right pick or the wrong pick, or kind of a coin flip type of, of pick. But um, so I, I don't know if I can really like go ahead and like, hey, you guys get an you guys get an F because you didn't pick the player I wanted you to pick, or you didn't pick the player that was a consensus higher projected player. But yeah, I I, I will agree with the the C minus because they didn't. They didn't do anything overtly bad. It just seemed kind of lackluster and kind of like they underperformed. Um, It's kind of like, but hopefully it's kind of like a midterm grade where you kind of want to give them that C- and be like, you want to write on the paper like, hey, just put more effort in and it could be a B (laughs) or B+. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with it. But they do have have more time than anyone else now with the cap space. And with uh, a couple of the trade pieces they have. So they have kind of like, they got an extension into the beginning of the season where they could actually make some moves that no other team can. So we'll see how it all plays out.
0: Yeah, if I can take my snark and like pessimism out of it, it is an incomplete trade because they do have that, you know, rolled over 10 million, which, you know, at this point we're bleeding into the season. But we already talked about their flexibility. There's more moves that they can make. And you know, you kind of do have to give that credit to what they didn't do in the offseason if they end up doing something great because the only reason they're in this position now is because they didn't spend it. So it is all kind of kind of lumped together. But, you know, I, I do continue to come back to that. Like, man, if they had just been aggressive this summer, like... Because next summer, it's not going to be easy next summer. We've talked about it a million times, but they're not going to have the leverage they have next summer that they did this summer. I mean, they lucked out on the lottery. Right. They got the second overall pick. They're not going to have one next year at all. Um, they were one of, I don't know, seven or eight teams with max Capram, Um and, and they came away with two role players to to show for it. So, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I guess it like incomplete, and we'll we'll see what happens. Um,
1: let me let me ask you though: do you, Would you be would you give them a higher grade or a lower grade if if the Bulls had not matched uh, on the Levine offer? That's a great question, and i i I didn't want
0: them to sign. Levine, when that offer first dropped, and then I kind of thought about it more, and I thought about just how talent deficient they are, and mm-hmm. it's almost like the kings are threading a needle here anyways, where so many things have to break right for them to break through to the playoffs like the West is so stacked they don't have a twenty nineteen yeah. pick next year, and in twenty twenty if we if we extend this rebuild past twenty nineteen then you're looking at like. I'm speculating here, but you're probably looking at uh, a pick in like the 8 to 10 range and not like the 1 to 3 range. So you're not getting the high, high high-end talent. So to me, Zach Levine was a much more expensive gamble, almost in the same way that Harry Giles was, where it's like, I don't love Zach Levine as a player, but I acknowledge that he's very young. He has a ton of potential still. He hasn't played his best basketball yet, and you're adding potential. And yeah, you have to thread that needle. Like, you need these things to break. You're going to need... Zach Levine to play the best basketball of his career. You're going to need him to stay healthy. But you're already trying to thread that needle because you're already at a disadvantage with, with like being in the middle of this rebuild without such a key piece in that 2019 pick. If the Kings had a 2019 pick, I would say don't sign Levine. That was a dumb offer. It's good that they didn't match because then you're you've still got another top three guy coming in. But I don't know where they're getting this talent i just don't know where it's coming from maybe next summer they can do more than i'm thinking they can but it's so competitive next summer with all the teams that have cap space and that's my way of avoiding answering the question because i don't know i I, like i could go either way on the Zach levine one what about you
1: yeah it's it is it's actually pretty tough to say because i think that on the face of it we kind of look at it and it's like okay well if the average team signed them to this deal like for the bulls even I'm looking at that and, like, oh, they probably shouldn't have matched. Like, that's, that's like, a lot of money to commit to a guy with injury problems and who hasn't been that great when he's not injured. Um, it seems, like, too much. But then we kind of, like, grade on a curve for the Kings, you know? We kind of just, like, well, the Kings need to spend more and they need to, like, be kind of more desperate because we just don't have like the you know the talent deficiency, like you said, we have this talent deficiency. So it is kind of hard. It's kind of like, is any price too much to pay for just making this team better? And what's kind of uh, you know and been an encouraging thing for me is that they offered it to a guy that has the qualities that I was hoping that they would be looking for. You know, maybe it's not the the player that I was hoping for exactly, but. It's a young, He's a young guy. The target was, he's young, he's, you know, speedy, he can shoot. Like, they took kind of all the qualities that I was hoping for, but they kind of went too high. They chose a restricted free agent, which was confusing, and kind of put themselves, like, they started the offseason slower, the free agency period. They started slower. They forced themselves into this, like, slow start. They had to wait around. And by the time that it was that they could, you know, get past the moratorium and make these offers, a lot of a lot of players were off the board. But you know, I liked what they had targeted. I just wanted like those qualities, I just wanted them to apply them to the sort of mid range type of player. Go find a guy who is a little bit younger, like you had mentioned, Julius Randle. He's younger, he's got these explosive abilities, this upside, but he's also not gonna completely walk up your cap sheet for the next four years. I don't know. It's it's kind of like the the good with the bad. I, I it's really hard to say. It's really hard to say if that would have made me feel better or worse about this offseason.
0: Yeah, and then there's the I mean we don't need to go down this road again too, but there's the whole Hazonia thing. Depending on who you listen to, the Kings were either like super interested in Hazonia or maybe their interest was a little overstated. But how mm-hmm. much do things change if that's a guy that you added here instead Like because we talk about how much they need a small forward. Like, where I'm still not ready to say yes or no to Levine, because that's a very complicated signing, if you asked me, like, would I feel better about the offseason if they were able to land Hazonia, my answer would be yes, for sure.
1: Yeah, and he's kind of that, like, same, the same qualities you want. Like, he fills a need. He is on the younger side. He's coming off of his rookie contract, or it's kind of like a second draft type of candidate guy that you Mm -hmm. want to bring in and hope that he can. you can reinvent him in your system. Still on the younger side, still has the upside, can shoot a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it wouldn't have crossed an arm and a leg necessarily, but we just may have gone too low. You know, it's it, it's tough. I, I And, again, like, the problem is that we don't know what the negotiations were. We don't know if Mario would even have considered any offer from us. It, I, if we had thrown out a two-year... Fifteen million per year deal, or, or uh, fifteen million total deal. If he would want of that, if if we had thrown a, a one plus one at ten million, something like that, I don't know if you would even really been listening. But um, I do feel I do feel disappointed, and uh, and I do feel like next offseason, I don't know. I have very little reason to believe that it's going to be better because of the cap face that all the teams are going to have across the league.
0: My last point on Levine. We all saw that number and we're like, oh, my God, Kings, what are you doing? Like, this is a crazy amount of money to dedicate to a guy with that injury history. And I stand by saying that at the time. But once we see the numbers next summer and once we see who the Kings overpay next summer, I'm predicting we'll all look <laughs> yeah. at that Zach Levine contract and be like, oh, boy, that might have been a better option than giving Enes Kanter like $20 million for four years.
1: Yeah, so, and then there was also um, the whole Rodney Hood thing just last right. week. Where he you know, he had allegedly asked for like about a ten million dollar deal a one year ten million dollar deal. Cavs wanted to lock him up for three three years twenty four and so he took the qualifying offer. We have that ten million and Hood's not an old guy. He he has qualities, he has similar qualities, he can shoot. We could easily offer him a one plus one or ten million and just infuse some talent into the team but not kneecap ourselves to the future. So I'm I'm pretty lost with this team right now. I'm pretty confused at what the direction is i'm pretty confused at how well they executed based on what they have to work with so it's hard for me to understand what they have to work with exactly but again coming back to the the original point that you had made the the first point we talked about which is that we have a lot of young guys anyway so maybe it maybe the moral of the story is that we don't need to crowd those guys and, and we can let them have their minutes this year and, and hopefully we'll see some guys start to really develop
0: Now that we've kind of set the table for where the Kings are at in their rebuild and talked about what they did or didn't do this summer, I did want to touch on the new win totals from Westgate Las Vegas Sportsbook. Last year, Westgate set the Kings' line at 27.5 wins. They came in just under that number with 27 wins. This year, Westgate put the line at 25.5 wins. So they're actually predicting the team will be a little bit worse this year than they were last year. But Richard, if you had to make a prediction or a bet here, over or under twenty-five and a half wins for the Kings this season, where would you go?
1: Uh, I would take the over, but I would not feel confident about it. Uh, I think that those—I think those—you know—those the people that set the lines in Vegas do an incredible job because I struggle, and I—they're so good. I go back and forth. I mean, you just said it. What it was 27.5 last year and they got within half a game as close as you can get. So um, it's a little scary, but I think I would go with the over. And I think the reason I'm going with the over is that there are so many things that could go wrong with other teams. I think that in the West, the West is looking so strong, but we're seeing the Timberwolves kind of melt down in front of our eyes. We're seeing, you know, we see every year injuries, conflict, chemistry problems, assuming that the Kings have uh, at least decent health and at least decent chemistry in the locker room, which I think is is a fair bet, that they'll be be able to pick up some games from teams that are struggling or even the Lakers as they try to sort of get their team chemistry right, get their game plan right, as well as some teams that might be resting games, uh, resting some of their stars against us. Uh, thinking to catch us sort of sleeping, I think that we can we can get about twenty five and a half
0: if I told you it was twenty seven and a half again, meaning they'd have to have a better record than they had last year, would you still take it?
1: I would take the under there I think I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking like twenty six twenty seven
0: I know I spent the first half an hour of the podcast explaining how down I am on kind of just where the kings are at big picture, and I still think they're gonna win more games than they won last year. Um, For some of the reasons you mentioned, like you mentioned Minnesota's dropping off, I would have predicted before Devin Booker broke his hand that the Suns would be better than the Kings, but that's another team that now, you know, maybe the Kings are right there with because they're down their best player for who knows how long. I mean, he's not going to miss a ton of time, but we're talking about like their best offensive player who has a broken hand. It's going to take him a while to readjust to whatever that's like playing through. Um, and other teams will probably drop off. We've talked about it before. The Kings don't have their pick next year, so they have nothing to lose for. Even though this team doesn't tank anyway, so I don't know if we can totally factor that in. They didn't tank last year when they had a reason to. They just got lucky in the lottery.
1: But I don't know. I'm, and the basketball gods reward us. For right.
0: It. Extremely clutch, also, which I don't. I don't quite see that happening again next year. But I don't know. Right. We talked about it earlier too, where the mystery factor, where the team has. For as low as their floor might be, their ceiling is also, I don't want to say it's high, but it's much higher than 25.5 if just a few things break right. And I think De'Aaron Fox, uh, hearing about the work he's put in this summer and even that one summer league game where he looked noticeably bigger and was really pushing the pace, makes me optimistic. Willie Cauley-Stein, I don't necessarily buy into his workout videos too, too much, but I am kind of excited to see what he has going on this season. So I do think this team has enough room to get past that 25.5 number. I don't know. I feel pretty confident about that, but I could, I could be wrong. They won less than Vegas set them at the last
1: year. So, so who knows? And you would take the over as well on that twenty-seven and a half number? I think I would. I'm thinking like 29. Interesting. For, so uh, I don't know. not only is the, the team, not only will the team be better, but they will perform better, which are two like, just, just like lightly different things too. Like, um, there are two things that are on the surface appear to be the same but that's where like I'm split uh, where I think that they will be better like the team will be better but I don't think they'll perform worse well is that, am I making any sense there yeah
0: but do you see I I think I'm I think where we might differ here is that I have a little bit more faith in Dave Yeager than I think you do correct me if I'm wrong but I do I mean, feel you like
1: have any at all <laughs> yeah
0: well I because he's I any at all then Jaeger has said, and the Kings have said some things that leave me optimistic that they'll change how they're playing, and I think just that change in how they're playing from last year is good for a few wins. If they have the same roster as they did last year, which they mostly do, besides adding Bagley and Giles, two rookies, and like we said, Yogi and Bielitsa, so I do think the roster improved a little bit, and I think if the strategy improves a lot, I think you can easily hit over 25.5 and that comes from me having at least a little bit of faith in Jaeger to kind of keep his word when he says things like you know I don't know all the things he said where he can mold his style and the training wheels are coming off and we want to push the pace if you believe Jaeger which I do you you doesn't sound like you do I think just just changing strategy alone is good for a few more wins because I think you know the Kings have some talent they just used so many of them wrong last year we've uh, wrote about it a bunch of times in our 30-question series on sac Ten Royalty, just how many players were playing either out of position or or just, you know, not playing to their strengths. If they can improve internally, I think that is an easy easy over. But I, I, that does come down to, again, just how much faith you have in Jaeger to actually do that.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, I am, like, I, I have been relatively critical of Jaeger, but... I wrote so I wrote about it, you know how secure his job was recently, and I went into that piece thinking that this was going to be like an easy layup, like oh he should have already been fired. He is he's like really on the hot seat. He should go, um, but that's not really like what I ended up getting out of it because I try to approach these things with like an open mind. Where if what I if what I research, what I find is that is different to what I had thought originally that I had to be able to adjust my mindset. And I did kind of think by the end of it that he should stay on for at least this year. But it's more contextual for me. It's more the fact that there's been so much turnover in the franchise over the last 10 years that he needs to, that we there's more like the, it's more, it's not specific to his performance. It's more just that some steadiness would be good. And, and more importantly, the steadiness with the players like Darren Fox. I would like him to have the same coach for his first couple of years. I would like Bagley to be going into a system that's established. I would like some of these guys that are around. I would like. I don't want Harry uh, Giles to have to relearn things that he's been learning under Yeager with some new coach, or in different styles, that sort of thing. But um, and I don't. It's not that I don't trust Dave Yeager to do what he's saying he's going to do. I believe that his intentions are 100% there. My concern is more that uh, as soon as you sort of meet difficulty, it's easy to fall back on your old ways, you know. And I mm-hmm. think that, especially with the schedule really tough on the, in the early goings, if the team gets out to a really bad start, it's going to be like, okay, where's my bets? Let's get these guys out there. And I noticed that you had re- written about this earlier, and it's not that they necessarily necessarily eaten as, up as much – of the playing time as you had mentioned, but it's the reliance on them when they are on the floor. Uh I think it's easier to go back into that like you like you had mentioned, like, okay, well Zebo is my guy. He's out there. I know Zebo let's run through Zebo. I'm afraid that, that he will start regressing to what he was last year and uh the type of coach that he was in Memphis with the grit and the grind and the slow it down offense. Um but, you know, I, I'm happy to be proved wrong as well. I, I don't know that it really relies so much on him. I'm putting this the the burden of these wins and losses on the players, and that's not to say that they aren't great players or they aren't – well, let me rephrase that. It's not to say they're not good players. They don't have great potential. But they're just not there yet as a group. Um, and I think that they will be better than they were last year, but I think that they will do worse, which, I mean, like you had mentioned – with the clutch performance, I don't think that that will be quite where it was. The competition in the Western Conference, I think that will be a little higher than it was. So there's, you can lose a few games from the clutch. You can lose a few games from the uh, the tougher conference. You can also just back to regression of Pythagorean wins and losses. They had only, you know, they had only through their offensive rating and defensive rating, they played like a 23 win team <laughs> would be expected to play. So from the way that I see it, if we're looking at 20, 25.5 as the line, that means they need to get two and a half games better than they were last year, based on just their general play on the court. You know, you know, discounting the clutch play, discounting sort of some luck, as it were. But um, and I, I don't know. I don't know if they can do that with uh, LeBron in the conference, with uh, just a tougher general conference and. I'm just not I'm not convinced. I think they could get into that 26-27 range. I think that's where I have them at. Maybe 3 or 4 games better than they were based on their Pythagorean wins and losses last year, but getting anywhere above that is going to be really, really hard.
0: I know we have some other uh writers on staff who, you know, we've talked about this before, and they would take the under. And I so I'm I could certainly be wrong about this, but I guess I'll put it this way. If at the end of the year the Kings are somewhere in the top ten in pace, and in the top ten, or even I'll give them top fifteen, in three-point attempts, then I think they'll get there. I think just that shift in where your shots are coming from, and and how you're playing to players' strengths, will get you past twenty-five and twenty-five point five. But I, again, you know, we know how stubborn Jaeger is. I wouldn't blame anyone for taking that under under you know the assumption that things aren't going to change and like you said they're going to go back to zevo because maybe the young players struggle a little bit and they're going to make iman shumpert play for 20 minutes a night if those things happen then yeah you know the the under is definitely in play
1: yeah I, I would i would love to see that but that's that's a massive change right like they they were dead last in three points attempted and 28th in pace so to go up into the top 10 or or even like the high teams like you said that that would that would honestly shock me
0: but that's what—that's kind of the the narrative there. I don't. No one has said that overtly like that specifically. But that is kind of the message everyone is floating up there that it's going to be a different team um, with a different style. So I don't. You can. If someone said, "Hey, Tony, you're just buying into like the spin that they've been spinning us for 12 years," then that's totally fair. I would totally take that criticism because I am. I am buying it this year for whatever reason because I think it's just so obvious what they need to do that I can't wrap my mind around. A professional organization not doing that thing like there's no reason that a team that shoots that were they one or two in three-point accuracy but they only shoot but they shot the least amount of three-pointers in the entire league like I can't wrap my mind around that happening for a second straight year it's so obvious what they need to do that I, I, I maybe I'm giving the team too much credit because the Kings have disappointed us in the past but that's kind of where my mind's at I just can't I can't justify them doing this again with how, how obvious it is the things that they kind of need to change offensively. Defensively, they're going to struggle kind of no matter what because they just don't have the experience or that many defensive-minded players. So I don't, I don't expect a dramatic increase in how good they are on defense. But the problems on offense, like we've written about them a thousand times and it's not like we're geniuses. The national media people who do cover the Kings closely have written about this as well, just the changes they need to make strategically. And I, they, there is no more excuses if they don't, this is kind of getting into another topic, but if they don't make those changes, if they don't finish, you know, I'll adjust my number a little bit. If they don't finish in the top half of the league in pace, if they aren't in the top half of the league in three point attempts, assuming that three point accuracy stays where it was last year, which would put them one or two in the entire league. Then in my opinion, like Jaeger's out, like, all right, you've proven that you are not maximizing the talent of your roster then you're out. So I guess I'm betting on Jaeger keeping his job and at least adjusting those numbers to a place where you don't look at it and say, wow, it's so obvious what you need to change here. Why aren't you changing it?
1: That's, I'm I'm, I'm right there with you because that's kind of, you know, what you're saying is I'm on board with Jaeger if he turns into the polar opposite of who he is. And that's and totally so, fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, but yeah, I, I don't I'd love to look into how, how frequently changes that big can happen, but we're hoping the same thing. I
0: will say, I know someone asked us on Twitter. Um, they said that, you know, we talked about how Jaeger kind of changed his rotation at the All-Star break, where Zebo was on the bench more. He gave more, uh, a longer leash to some of the kids. Obviously, George Hill got yeah. traded, so De'Aaron Fox took over. And the question was, did these things we've been talking about all summer, like the three-point uh, attempts and the pace, change after the All-Star break? And I looked it up before we started recording, and the answer is, like— extremely slightly I think they took three more shots after the all-star break per game which would increase their pace because you're getting more shots up per possession and then they took I think I want to say it was two and a half more threes per game after the all-star break so those are those are pretty minor increases but you know I guess if you're being optimistic they are increases um, so there's the answer to that Twitter question so I don't know if you're a mega optimist you can look at that and be like see things are changing but I, I, don't, I wouldn't really go that far because those numbers are so small
1: Yeah, we're going to see more changes than that, for sure.
0: All right, uh, we're going to close out the podcast with some fun predictions. The NBA obviously gives out uh, awards at the end of every season. Um, Most Valuable Player, Most Improved Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. The NBA gives out more awards than that, but just for our sake here on the podcast, we're kind of going to go back and forth and give our winners for these awards for just the Kings. So, you know... The MVP of the Kings this year will be blank. The, MVP, the most improved player of the Kings this year will be this person. So we'll start with you, Richard. Are we, Richard. Starting,
1: Sorry, are we starting with MVP or are we saving MVP to the end? Okay, just, we, can, we can go from the back forward. That makes more sense. I'm, I'm either way. I, I kind of want to – I'm still – I'm not 100% on these. I've got a pretty good idea. I'm, I'm thinking maybe if we put MVP at the back. I want to build – let's build to it.
0: Okay, well, we can build to it. We'll go from the back, and I'll just preface my answers in that – I'm definitely lo- not locked in on these, and I'm mostly picking players that I kind of want to talk about in those roles. So, are they I'll predictions? Kind of, but it's such a hard thing to answer, so whatever, it's just sort of fun. So, alright, give me your Defensive Player of the Year.
1: Defensive Player of the Year. Oof. Uh <laughs> oh, This is a tough God. one. It is one of those things where <laughs> it's like... Maybe nobody. It is a tough one. But you, you, you maybe want to say nobody and then you maybe want to say a guy that you just want to talk about about mm-hmm. being it. Um, I oh my gosh. Let's start with MVP. No, just kidding. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Willie Collie Stein. I think that's a this is a bold we're getting way bolder than I expected to get right off the top, but I think that he knows that this is time for him to get paid and as far as defensive potential Uh, definitely has a lot of it, right? Uh, I think that De'Aaron Fox would be someone I'd consider as well. Obviously a very different aspect of the game out in the perimeter. But I'm going to say that uh, I believe that Willie is going to get a lot of minutes under the basket uh, defending the rim, and I think that he's going to step up and and be that guy.
0: I did put the disclaimer out so we can get a little uh, silly with it. Because that was my pick too, Willie Cauley-Stein, and he doesn't really have a great track record of being an excellent defender, so it's kind of a like a fake prediction, because the best defender on this team right now is Kosta And I would give an honorable mention yeah. to uh, to Harry Giles, but I don't know if he'll get the minutes to have quite the impact that Willie can. Like, Willie has the most potential to impact every game on defense every night. And
1: Well, you, thank you for choosing me. I feel a lot yeah. better about it. Uh,
0: well, but my, my reasoning is very specific. Willie Cauley-Stein had a quote this summer. He had a lot of quotes this summer, some of them better than others. But the one that sticks out with me in terms of his defense was um, he said something along the lines of, uh, this year I'm going to do everything they want me to do instead of thinking that I don't need to do it and I can do it my way and I can do it better. So if Willie is sticking to his word and he's going to do everything that they want him to do, they want him to anchor the defense, they want him to communicate, they want him to help – He's got to get over that fear of, like, blocking shots at the rim because he broke his finger a couple times or whatever that, um, that thing he had was last year. But that, that was my— yeah. yeah, that nonsense that every big man probably deals with. But that's my answer for, for that reason mostly. And, and more to the point was just so I can say that quote on the podcast because I think it's interesting and something people would be interested in hearing if they hadn't heard it before. Where Willie is at least saying the right things in that he's telling us he's going to do what the coaches ask of him. So we'll see if it happens. Uh, hit me with your sixth man of the year.
1: Okay, so I'm going to go with another kind of a stretch in, 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 a, in a sense, but also uh, in a different sense. I'm going to say that it's Buddy Healed again because, I mean, I think that he, it was fairly obvious that he was our best sixth man last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to go with Buddy Heald because I think that Jaeger is going to mess this up, and I think he's going <laughs> find to a, find a way to keep Buddy Heald on the bench. Uh, in starting lineups and I I just think that he's gonna find a way to mess this up because I think it's super clear to me that he should be our starting shooting guard and Bogey should play the three, but I think he's gonna find a way that, to to screw them around and that Buddy Healed will end up not starting many games in game.
0: So I would pick Buddy Healed if I thought Jaeger was gonna screw it up. Already established, I have a little bit more faith in Jaeger. I do think DeAaron Fox, Buddy Heald and Bogdan Bogdanovich are gonna be starting. So my sixth men of the year is another guy I wanted to talk about, but I do think this is a legitimate selection, and that is uh, Yogi Ferrell. Yogi is coming to the Kings from the Dallas Mavericks. He played point guard and shooting guard for them in the last two years, and he kind of has that microwave off the bench kind of feel to his game. He might be better than De'Aaron Fox right now, if we're being honest. I know, uh, I think it was the Dunk Don podcast. W- one of those podcasts, for their Kings previews, they said that Yogi Ferrell was the best point guard on the roster, and if you look at history, it's hard to totally... Shut that down because um, Fox wasn't great in his first year. I obviously think Darren Fox is going to be a better player eventually, but I do think Yogi Ferrell is a good player, still in his prime. I think he's 25 years old. He's got that kind of fire and hustle and energy that you look for in those spark plug bench players. So that's my my pick for sixth man.
1: I dig it. Rookie of the year. Uh, this is going to be uh, one Harrison Giles the <laughs> third. I... Uh, sorry, that is absolutely not his Is that name. his name? It's Harry Giles. Is his first name Harry? Harrison? Is it Harry? I'm good. No, I don't you. think so. I think I think I was kidding, but I'm not sure. Um Harry
0: Lee Giles III. Did it, you
1: say Lee? Is it Lee? Yeah. According to Wikipedia, wait, wait, Harry Wikipedia wrong. Harry Lee Giles three. Is his Wikipedia first name. Harry Lee Giles Okay, so it is Harry. Alright. But I think it will be Harry. I I do think there's a huge advantage to sitting and watching a full season, especially when it's that same coach. He's not going to have to learn the terminology, the schemes, uh, and the way that Bagley is. I, I think that they're both going to be pretty good, though. And I could honestly see them both being in the conversation for actual rookie of the year, league-wide rookie of the year. Um, but I do think it will be Harry. I think that he has a broader tool set that will get him actually to the level of effectiveness that he needs to be uh, to get minutes, um, to get minutes consistently. I think that Bagby will be sort of force-fed minutes, and I think that his scouting report is going to be so clear, just like force him to his right hand, and I don't know that he'll, he'll ever – not ever, but I don't know that in this year that he'll get good enough with his right to be super effective, but I am – so so in on Harry that I I just gotta go I gotta go with that guy. I'm
0: glad you picked Harry Giles because I like Harry Giles more than Marvin Bagley long term, but I did pick Marvin Bagley here. Um, the Kings have been super slow with how they've pushed Harry Giles so far, and for good reason. The guy has had two major knee surgeries, um, so I don't know if they're gonna give him the minutes he needs to really make that rookie year impact. Maybe they do, and if he does, I can see him getting there. But I do think Bagley is a guy they're going to feed a ton of minutes and I do think Bagley will look better next to these players than he did in Summer League when uh in Summer League they were using him as kind of like a go-to scorer which he is not right now. He's got he's like the hustle energy big which I do think this is th- those are qualities that the main roster does need. They don't really have anybody like him on the main roster, where Willie Colley-Stein is kind of passive and going and getting rebounds and and passive on defense. Mm -hmm. Not that Marvin Bagley is a great defender. We saw that in Summer League, but he does try very hard, possession after possession. And I think he'll get a lot of of garbage points, a lot of rebounds. Running with De'Aaron Fox in that first Sacramento Summer League game was his best game of the summer. And I think playing next to professionals where the defense isn't focused on shutting him down like they were in Summer League, where he was kind of all the Kings had. And Justin Jackson, too. But as far as, you know, he was the number two overall pick. Players were gunning for him on every night. And I don't think that'll be the case in the regular season. So my pick is Bagley there. I think he's going to be a nice little garbage big man for them. And there's nothing wrong with that in his rookie year, at least.
1: Yeah, I think we got a real Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell type debate going on <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> yeah, also, uh, year. also shout out Wayne Gabriel.
0: I think he'll be up by the all-star break and getting some, stealing some minutes from somebody soon.
1: Shout out. Uh Most improved. This one for me is the easiest, easiest one of the whole slate. I think it's Darren Fox. Uh, he really just wasn't good last year. I mean, he actually even recently came out and said he wasn't good last year, um, which is a positive sign for me just to able to recognize it and the humility to, to talk about it. But um, a second-year point guard, that is such a big difference. Point guard is such a tough position to learn. In this league, and if all the things that we're hoping to happen do happen, with the the up tempo play, the more three point shots, I think that he could be really, really good. Um, and more importantly, he, since he struggled so much last year, the the difference, the jump that he can make could be really significant.
0: I agree with everything you said there. So instead of repeating what you said, I'll just mention one stat that I pulled from cleaning the glass that I thought was kind of interesting. One of the things we talked about with the Kings all last year is how bad they were at getting to the free-throw line. That's kind of why their offense was so bad, because they weren't hitting enough threes because they didn't shoot enough, and they were uh, either dead last or pretty close to last in free-throw attempts. De'Aaron Fox is one of the only players on that roster who did get to the line, according to Cleaning the Glass, which is a great little advanced uh, stats website that you convinced me to sign up for. I did finally sign up for it. De'Aaron Fox got fouled on 11% of his shots, which is good for the 74th percentile in the NBA for guards. So as long as he's more aggressive, he can kind of be the spark plug to getting that team to the line. He was actually very effective at getting to the line. The only problem was he was pretty passive offensively as a whole. So if he gets more aggressive in year two, which is totally uh, predictable for a second year player and gain some confidence, I see him getting to the line more, especially in transition, pushing the ball. So I think he's going to pick up, you know, if his shot maybe isn't, where we want it to be in year two, I think at the very least his aggression going to the rim will get him easy opportunities for buckets to the line. And that'll open up the Kings offense quite a bit. So Darren Fox is my pick there.
1: I love that. I love that stat because it's funny you'd mentioned the dunked on podcast earlier because they had, um, they had pulled a stat earlier in the summer that per possession, the Kings got to the line the least of any team in NBA history last year. Wow, these, I believe these, it though. Yeah, but they were—they're were just—they're were so soft. They're so soft going to the bucket, and yeah, it's crazy because they have this inverse softness thing where the littlest guys on the team go the hardest to the bucket, and then the biggest guys shy away from it. But um, yeah, I mean that's such a massive problem. If you're not getting to the line, you just just—you're really giving up such a big portion of the shot that any team could be taking that, um, and I think, you know, I I think that De'Aaron is the guy that can change that mentality. If he's out there on the floor day one, starting all 82 games, and this is his team, that all the other players around him can feed off of that.
0: Despite his down rookie year, which we've talked about, I'm still pretty optimistic about his potential, and I think we'll see that this year. So I, I, I agree with you. Most improved there seems like a pretty obvious pick. All right, you wanted to save it till the end, so let's hear it. Who's your king's most valuable player?
1: Uh, maybe you've heard of him before. His name is Harry Lee Giles oh. III. Yes, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I this was I wanted to put this off because it is also it's pretty bold, and I didn't I wasn't 100 percent ready to go there. But I am, and I think that um, for all the reasons you just mentioned, Darren Fox is, would be my second choice. He's right there, but when I watch Harry play, and from what I read about him and from considering how high his potential was, how how uh, he was being scouted out of high school and all those things, and just watching the fluidity in his game, the way that he can shoot from anywhere on the floor and how comfortable he looks out there and the limited, admittedly very limited minutes we see of him, I just think this guy has enormous potential. And the added advantage of having that year to sit out, having that year to, to learn the ropes uh, from the sidelines, I think he's going to come in, and as soon as he gets his sort of game legs underneath him, uh, once he gets his stamina up and is able to stay on the floor for enough minutes, I think those minutes are just going to come pouring his way, and I think he's going to be an incredible basketball player. I am higher on him than anyone else on this team, and I am higher on him than I logically should be. I love Harry Jones. (laughs) If you're right, this would be a wildly successful year for the Kings. Like,
0: if Harry Giles plays well enough to be the best guy on the team, on a roster that includes guys who are already pretty good in Bogdan and Buddy, that'd be a huge, huge, huge win. So I, I hope you're right. Yeah. For, for some reason in my mind, I still view him as, like, a unknown, so I have a hard time predicting anything for him. I know he's healthy now, but I haven't really flipped a switch in my head to, oh yeah, he's a real basketball player now. He can play, and we're going to see him. I haven't quite reached that. point. Yeah. but I love the pick. I hope you're right.
1: He's a real player. I mean, this is a guy that it doesn't matter what franchise you're on. This is a coveted player right here. This is a guy who can be a game changer. Period. It doesn't matter what team he's on. It doesn't matter what scheme he's playing in. I mean, this is to me. This is this is like a real prospect, and I'm just so happy. Not that Jaren and Daly aren't necessarily, but. Just when I watch him play, I'm like, this is a guy that can put it together in any situation and you may need to have you may need to be that to be great in Sacramento right now. But I, I just I'm wild about Harry. Now you trust Yeager to give him the minutes. I think that he will essentially take them. I think that I think that there's a certain point if you're good enough and you sort of spike that early in your career and you just are are dominating in the way that I believe Harry could be, I think that Jaeger is going to be happy to do it. Yeah, um, he's you know, a Jaeger I, player. Because that's the thing about Fox's struggles. Last year, is like we, it, I'll speak for myself, I criticized Jaeger for not giving Fox more minutes, but he wasn't performing that great. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, it's like, well, it, you know, you want Fox to go out there and just take all the minutes. you know, And eventually he did, but still... You wanted him to just be so good right from the jump that it was a no-brainer, you know? Uh, And I think that's the type of thing that that Harry could do.
0: Harry has a lot going for him that would make Jaeger want to play him because Jaeger puts so much stock into toughness and defense and kind of that edge, Mm -hmm. like the grit and grind, uh, grizzly stuff. And we saw it even in Summer League, like just how much of that kind of player Harry Giles can be. Their comparisons to KG are... Very optimistic. I hope he gets there, but you can see the comparisons in terms of like a mindset when he's on the court because he's not not afraid of anybody, and he'll uh, he'll get some technicals and he'll go after guys, and that is something yeah. this team needs so bad. So I can actually I can actually see yeah, you're giving him the minutes to do it as long as he's healthy, which we're all kind of hoping he is.
1: I yeah, he just needs to focus on doing the things that that uh, the fundamentals, and then from there, I just I believe in his extra skills so much that as soon as he gets his fundamentals down pat that he could be amazing but I'm, I'm waiting on pins and needles for your MVP who, who's that going to be telling? my MVP little
0: bump in the road a couple days ago because he injured his knee for uh, the Serbian mm-hmm. national team but my pick for MVP is Bogdan Bogdanovic and I know there's a lot of people out there who think his potential is kind of capped because he came in as a 25 year old rookie and had a very good year and there's the question where you know this guy's already in his prime How much can he improve? But I do think, knee injury aside, which is a concern um, for those who may have missed it, he had surgery on his knee in April. Meniscus tear. It was not a bad meniscus tear, but it was a tear nonetheless. He played 20 weeks later for Serbia a couple days ago. He left the game after three minutes after tweaking his knee, and to this point, we haven't had an update on what his knee situation is. Early reports were that it wasn't that serious, but if he's getting... Hurt or tweaking things after, you know, two games, then it does make me worry that something could linger into the season. But if he's healthy, I think there is room for Bogdanovich to play much better than he did last year. If you look at the circumstances he came into his rookie year with were, you know, his first time moving to America for an entire year. He didn't really know anyone here. I mean, he had a support system with Vlade and Peja because they knew each other from Europe. But as far as knowing his teammates and the coaching staff, plus he played a ton of basketball coming into his rookie year, so he didn't have his legs. He even said it in an interview, I think it was with Slam, um, at the end of the year, where he just never felt like he was where he wanted to be athletically because he was so tired and broken down from playing so much basketball the summer before. I think, as of today, he's the most skilled player on the Kings, and I think going into yep. next year, he has a pretty locked-in starting role, he talked about it too, where he wasn't aggressive because he didn't want to come into a new situation and take over right away. I think the pecking order for the Kings is kind of starting to get set with Bogdanovich at the top in terms of skill. And I think this season is going to be a huge year for him. So long as he, the knee thing doesn't linger.
1: I agree a hundred percent with uh, him being the, the favorite, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I think that he was the best player last year uh, for the Kings. and don't uh, And I also agree that he is completely locked in as a starter. Um, It's more of a question of will it be the two or the three, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, he is he is locked in, and I think that um, there's it's kind of between if it's him or Fox that is the leader of this team. But they both have that they can both pass a little bit, they can both do a little bit of everything. And I just I was so impressed by by the way that he played last year. And even the shooting, like, we don't... I don't know, personally, I didn't think of him as an unbelievable shooter, but you look at it, and it's basically a 40% three-point shooter. You know, it's right there. And so when you add that to the passing, when you add that to the driving, when you add that to the ability to rebound, this guy could be, if we did play him at the three, which is what I would like for him to... That's what I'd like to see him. He could kind of just be a jack-of-all-trades, you know, right there in the middle. And As far as... um as school level goes, goes, and as far as MP, MVP goes, if we're talking about the whole picture, the big picture, he can do the most things. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Maybe not necessarily, yeah, one thing the best necessarily, but the most things. Not the best shooter on the team, but an amazing, still a very good shooter, very useful shooter, and he can do not the best passer on the team, still a very useful passer. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great pick, and I... I think that he should be the favorite for that as well.
0: He's one of my favorite kings in a long time, just the the style with which he plays, because they haven't had a player like him who can really do it all on offense. Like, without exception, maybe you can say he doesn't get to the rim as well as, like, the NBA's elite, because he's just not that. But he can just do so much on offense, um, and I love that. It's kind of the same reason why, you know, he's not the same player as Tyreek Evans. I am a known lover of... Uh, I shouldn't put it that way, but I'm going to anyways. Of Tyreek Evans, for some of the In same reasons. A known news. lover.
1: Everyone knows it. Tries Known lover of Tyreek Evans. Yeah. That's just facts. Absolutely. And Benno Udrich. And,
0: but but the Tyreek thing is because he can, once you learn how to shoot, then you're looking at a complete offensive player. He can do everything. Um, and that's how I kind of view Bogdanovich to an even better degree because where Tyreek has the tunnel vision, uh, Bogdanovich is a much better team player. So, yeah, I can't say enough good things about
1: uh, Bogdanovich. The the other way that I would have gone with it, it, I really wanted to, I was really tempted to give it to to Buggy as well, because that's like, I, I already had given Giles the shout out for Rookie of the Year, so and that would have been really nice. I want to get him in there. I do just love his game so much. Uh, he's a great king.
0: Alright Richard That's a uh, that's an hour of Kings preview talk I appreciate you Joining me on the podcast I was excited to get Back to the podcast um, I had a lot of fun Talking to you tonight So let the Kings fans Know where they can Find you on the internet
1: uh, I'm on Twitter At Ivanowski NBA That's I-V-A-N-O-W-S-K-I NBA uh, Yeah Give me a shout there I, I am almost guaranteed To, to reply And hit you back uh, I would love to Love to talk with you there. And, uh, of course, uh, Sacktown Royalty is where I live on the interwebs. So thank you so much, Tony.
0: All right, Richard. We'll, uh, we'll be talking some real Encore court basketball soon, I'm sure. Have a good night. Sounds good. I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A
1: university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected.
0: Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.
1: I'm ready to make my
0: credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A
1: university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected.
0: Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.